Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I'm Mecca Don here with my co-host V. Mama mentality for life. <laughs> Today is February 6th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. On today's show, we will talk to the world-famous Buster Douglas as he celebrates the 30-year anniversary of beating down Iron Mike Tyson. Huge. And we'll also talk with our resident college football insider, Zach Smith, on about what the heck is going on at Michigan State with the sudden retirement of Mark D'Antonio and do a Super Bowl recap. We'll also do some news and notes because we got yelled at for not doing them last week. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I couldn't believe the type of browbeating we got. Today's show was brought to you by Sacred Sun Topicals, which makes the highest quality all-natural CBD topicals with a proprietary blend and proven results. Products such as soap, body oil, bubble bath, and now muscle rub with warming and cooling effect. That stuff feels good, Need it on my neck, man. Get it on my neck. Great for sore muscles, aches, pains, to shorten recovery time and more. Visit www.sacredsuntopicals.com for more information. And shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Thanks for all those that have donated so far. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Our next guest is a former boxing heavyweight champion, the very first man to take down Iron Mike Tyson, and is actually celebrating the 30th anniversary of that fight this year. Please welcome Buster Douglas to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Mr. 42 and 1. What's up, man? What's up, Buster? How you doing? Doing great, man. How you guys doing? We're good, man. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys Podcast. Obviously, you know, we've you know, we've been, you know, fans of yours since we were kids, right? Obviously watching that 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 historic event, you being from the same city as me, Columbus, Ohio. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and just how much that impacted the world and the representative you kind of became for the city, and then years, years later, me actually getting the chance to meet with meet you, and V getting the chance to meet you, and us getting the chance to work with you on a music video, and then now here we are talking to you on our podcast. It's just been it's been uh, an awesome thing. So one of the first, yeah, and one of the first questions I wanted to ask you was actually how did you get the nickname Buster? You know, because it's funny, you know, your name is James Douglas, but everybody calls you Buster. Right, my mother, my my, my grandmother, my mother is. Mother, she named me Buster. I'm the first grandchild, and I think I got into everything and did everything, and and I had no <laughs> no feelings, so I was all over the place. Right, <laughs> right. So you're busting stuff up. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so bo- the boxing was a and natural a natural the funny, career. The funny, about it, the funny thing about it, uh, they encouraged it. They laughed and cracked up. That's awesome. So boxing was natural for you then. Busting busting people's jaws was natural for you then. <laughs> yeah, if I wasn't hitting them, I was hitting them with something. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that too. When, as you're a kid, you know, I think 
your story is so interesting uh, because it's it's not the story that you expect, right? It's it's, it's the story that's you know of someone. Obviously, you grew up in a family. Uh, I think your your father your father was a fighter. Is that is that correct? Right, my father was Columbus was first national golden glove champion. Mm-hmm. So, what was that like? Talk, talk talk to us about that. What was it like growing up as a son of? Uh, well, it was uh, it was good. Uh, you know, he introduced me to boxing. Actually, all my brothers, let me older before, and um, and I took to it. That went to the gym at the age of ten and. Blackburn Recreation Center in Columbus in uh, Ohio, and just took to it like fish take the water, man. Got in there and became real good pals with a lot of the kids that was at the boxing center. And um, you know, it's, it's uh, very, very rewarding. You know, one of few Golden Gloves titles, a little ten-year-old. Champion 12, 15-year-old, went to the Junior Olympics, won a state fair title, won about three state fair titles, three Golden Glove titles, uh, and a pretty extensive amateur career. But just when I was about to go to, to the national rankings, I stopped boxing and got into basketball and football, then came back to it at the age of 21 as a pro. Wow. wow. And w- w- did you actually love basketball or football more than boxing, or, or was what was yeah, your I favorite? Really a, I, I love all the sports. I play basketball, football, but I really had a thing for that basketball man. I really went to college uh, for three years uh, for basketball, basketball scholarship. Wow! And uh, you know, I really, really, really enjoyed playing basketball. And then after my third year, after my junior year, I decided to just, I got the burning desire to box again. So I called my dad and told him that summer when I came home that I wasn't going to box, uh, go back to school, I wanted to box. And he was like, sure, all right. Mm. And that's where I started at the age of 21 as a, as a pro. That's amazing. I mean, it seems like, you know, one of the things that I admire a lot about boxers is that people who are professional boxers, like I think, it takes the most um, discipline. It's probably the hardest sport to train for because everything at first is unnatural, right? And and the training element of it, like you have to really, really love this sport to commit to it as a professional, right? Yeah. And one of the things too, like that I always wondered was, you know, how you felt when, when you knew that you were gonna fight Mike Tyson, when someone when they first told you, Buster, your next fight is Mike Tyson, <laughs> what what were you thinking? Believe it or not, I was excited because that was my second opportunity to fight for the world title. Mm, the yeah. first time I fought for the world title was nineteen eighty seven, and it was just a portion of the titles. I fought for the IBF title, I was number number two contender in the world. I fought the number one contender in the world, Tony Tucker. Unfortunately, I came up short in that fight and got stopped in the tenth round. But that just made my desire to be champion or gave me an opportunity to realize that I could definitely be champion of the world, heavyweight champion of the world. So I had to go on a six fight winning spree or a six fight winning spree and uh then I ended up getting another shot of the title, which was by then Tucker I mean uh, Tyson was like 
well be involved. <laughs> right. confident that you know I had the tools to defeat him. You know, because a lot of times I fought on the undercard or with championship fights, and sometimes I co-featured co-featured the fight, which was the fight before his fight. So you know, I was very familiar with it, and I felt very confident going into the fight that I had the tools to, to, to get him. It seemed like. It seemed like a lot of boxers at that time, because he was on his his crazy streak, were actually intimidated and scared of Tyson because of this thought that he could literally break all your bones when he punched you. <laughs> were you at all? Did you at all? Did any of that play into your thought when you first found out you were fighting fighting him? Was there any intimidation? Because it didn't seem like it. not not at all. Because I knew I had the skills and the uh, heart to uh, challenge him. Put up a good fight. I knew if I didn't win, I was gonna put up a good effort. Let everybody know, like, well, he he, he really fought him, you know. Because by the time he fought me, it was like a joke. That's why we fought over in Tokyo because I believe the last five or six guys he had fought were like, you know, in the corner, just looking totally shell shocked, like right. they were facing King Kong or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I me- I remember you telling us too uh, a while ago when we were shooting the, the undisputed video, you told us that um, we asked you if there were any surprises when you actually got into the ring, and one of the things that you said that just stuck with me is that he didn't hit as hard as you thought. Is, is that is that is that true? Was that one of the, was were there any other surprises in the ring when you actually got in the ring with him? Well, it wasn't so much of guys that I fought against, but. I had a sparring partner that was a real good, good partner, a good hitter. And, and um, you know, his punches was, was effective, but it wasn't like you were, you know, really being hit by the first time by a punch. You know, but, you know, I had been hit harder, like, in a sparring session with a local kid from Columbus, Ohio, that was like a cruiserweight. You mm, know, and that's I... crazy. And he, yeah, right. But I'm just saying. But by the time we fought, he was such a care that a lot of times those guys were going to the ring, waiting to get hit and anticipating to get hit, mm-hmm. and that makes the MCU more <laughs> more terrified. You know, once you get hit, they're like, "Oh my God, I got hit!" Right. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was it was all about having experience, and I was an experienced, well class contender at that time, and I wasn't about to be psyched out by the media. And how how soon into the fight do you feel like you knew like oh shit, I'm about to be, I'm about to beat Mike Tyson. Like how how soon into the fight did you know that? And you know what man, it's amazing you ask that question because it was in the eighth round when I really realized that I could actually beat win the fight. Wow. And that was the round that I went down because I stopped fighting. Because I was looking at him like, yeah, what do you think about me now, boy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I heard they didn't that even bring an ice play. pack or anything. They thought he was just going to knock you out in the first round. Right, exactly. But, you know, by, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really sure that wasn't the first time that happened. You right. know, it was just that it wasn't challenged before until then, until we fought. You know, big deal, a lot is made of it. It was the title of the ESPN 30 for 30 that they did on you of the 42 to 1 odds. Like, there was no there was only one sports book in Vegas that was even taking bets on the fight and I think it is the highest odds against um in a in a bet 
Did that, did you, were you aware of that going into the fight? Did your trainers make you aware of that? Was that used as motivation? Yeah, I, just, I knew it was, uh, I mean, I wasn't surprised when I heard that, but uh, I wasn't concerned with all that. That was never played a fight in any of my fights about yeah. the odds when one told me about it. Somebody in my camp might have said, well, they got you favorite news fight or, or whatever, but, you know, that never played a fight. It was just the individual what I focused on first yeah. and foremost. And how soon did you recognize how huge of a moment this was? Because, again, this is 30 years later, and we're still talking about it as one of the greatest, you know, sports feats in history. And did were, were you able to realize that right away, or was it over the years that you were able to kind of absorb all of that? It was later, later in my life that I realized the really, the really the magnitude of the, the win itself. You know, as the years went on, it was like, you know, starting to hear, hear more stuff about what what the odds were and right. where everybody. But I knew it was a, I knew it was a landslide, definitely for for him to beat me because of the reason he fought in Tokyo because with nobody in the United States by the by the fight, you know, they were figuring that it was not wasn't gonna be worth it. Right, so it was gonna be one one of the first early round knockouts for sure. I actually remember because back in in those days, like when we would go to school on Monday mornings, we would be like, did you see what happened in the Tyson fight? And this Monday, it was like everybody was in a state of shock because you literally, they felt like you had taken down King Kong. (laughs) Um, And can you, can like, and post fight, obviously you were, you said in the eighth round, you realized that you could beat him, but post fight, I'm sure your life changed tremendously from where you were at before and after. Can you talk to us a little bit about adjusting to being the man that beat Mike Tyson and being the center of attention suddenly for the entire world? Yeah. Yeah, it was like uh, going from coach to first class. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, it was, uh, it was a big change, man. It was, it was an awesome experience, I tell you. Uh, but the only thing about it was that I've never felt the need was the fact that that I would have to fight so hard to be even considered to be the heavyweight champion because of all the all of the things that came along after the fight with the long channels, the the, the, the trying and the whining, and they they put up a fight. We ended up going to court. I spent the first four months, four and a half months of the. Of the uh, before I even got to fight uh, Holyfield and, uh, in court, battling. And I was traveling all over the United States. To, you know, I had a law firm in New York, a law firm in Columbus, Ohio, and a law firm in Vegas trying to figure out where exactly they were going to hold the case. Being subpoenaed throughout, you know, my... Um, between the fights, and uh, I mean, wherever I went, it was like somebody would come up and hand me a piece of paper, and I would think that it was an autograph sign and it'd be a, a subpoena, you know. Wow. You know, subpoena. Wow. wow. And it that really it got, got to me, you know, a lot of stress and strain over that. It's a lot, right? Yeah. Like having all the lights on you all the time and the pressure. Yeah, you know, it was. Pretty bad. I wish I could have handled that a little better, but you know it happens. But uh, that was about the only only thing that really 
you know, I really hated to have to deal with. Yeah. Then Virginia as a champion. Well, that's the other thing too. I was gonna ask you too is if you know when you're when you're part of or create such a historical moment, uh, it almost feels like that that everything else that you do is minuscule in comparison to that. That that's what you're always gonna be remembered for, even though you've lived a full life and done a lot of other things outside of that. Does that get annoying to you sometimes? Like even having to talk about this. I mean, obviously, I know you're proud of it, but does it get annoying to you at times? No, not really. Only thing that annoys me is just uh, thinking back how it all came to an end. You know, it wasn't like the, how I predicted or felt that it should have been. Yeah. Because it was like uh, going into the title fight, you know, basically it was all harmony. Everybody was going with the same focus of beating, you know, winning the heavyweight title. But after winning the heavyweight title, that that uh, aftermath was like a nightmare, and slowly but surely, the best part of the fight, uh, winning the title, seeing my name being announced as a new undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. But shortly after that, it was like uh, chaos. You know, it became chaos and craziness going on during the preparing for the Holyfield fight. You know, it was like we weren't together, wasn't in unison. Right. Everybody had the people between us, you know, before it was just Johnny, JD, and myself, you know. Right. And by the time we go into the Holyfield fight, it was like we were separated and just, you know, what he was speaking to each other, like you had to go to a personal person and get to Yeah. In a short it seemed like in a short, because I remember a lot of what was happening at that time. It seemed like right after the fight, in a short period of time, Suddenly you have a video game. Suddenly you you're on WWE wrestling with Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. All that, all that was all all good, you know. Yeah, so that was great things, but it was just internally. Yeah, you know we wanted to do that. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, you know and that was so more more devastating than what you project out in the public eye. You know, but all that was all just part of the process of being a new heavyweight champion of the WWE and the, and the new game and stuff, that's expected as well. Right. So it wasn't, it was just the unity wasn't there no more. It was just because all of a sudden, now you are it. You are the man. You are you are the boxing. Right. And you know, everybody's trying to get in. And it'd be the same people that thought it was a joke when you're going into the fight are the ones that are now kissing your butt. Right. Trying to get close. Right. Exactly. You know, I'm telling you, it was it was like this is ridiculous to see people lower themselves to get a few dollars. You know. So now that you've had time, like to to reflect back, kind of on that on that time period, what are like I don't know. Give us a couple of things that you feel like you you would have done differently if you had this situation over again, or let's just say you were advising a new uh, a the young. Market, the market, you know, uh, it would have been. A lot more better. It would have been better communication. Yeah. You know, because it was like, you know, we stopped talking to one another. You know, it was just, it was, it was just, it got overwhelming. You know, it was just, cause, I mean, you know, and, and you know, you see it, but you still can't believe what's happening, but it still goes on. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous, man. You know, people are just, 
This is a uh, this is fascinating because I think you know a lot of people hear you know the the kind of ups right oh the guy that beat Mike Tyson but they don't they don't really get to hear some of this you know integral stuff that you're talking about about kind of the mentality and, and how loyalty was probably tested at that time too even with people that you're close with. Yeah. So one of the other things that we we wanted to ask you about too during that time period was you know some of the. You know, obviously, like you said, things didn't go necessarily the way that you wanted them to, wanted them to go, but there were some good moments as well. So, t- talk to us a little bit about some of the positive things that happened during that time. Some of the some exciting the cool, things, the coolest experiences, or people you met that oh, were like, your heroes. It was great. It was great. We got to be got to be on David Letterman, a nice show, it's a nice show. Yeah. I mean, it was it was awesome. You know, it was awesome. I'm telling you, it was like. Being in the basement, go straight to the penthouse. That's what it was. I mean, you know, he wasn't fine commercial anymore, fine person, fine uh, private planes and stuff. And get on the plane, everything you ever asked for or everything you ever wanted would be on the plane. Right. Did you play your video game? Did you play your video game? Yeah, I played it a couple of times. Well, like you've been able to capture some of that or to recapture some of that, um, you know, like this week, you guys, for example, you guys are celebrating the 30 year anniversary. There's a huge, you know, weekend planned in Columbus, Ohio, and you know, Archie Griffin's involved, and it's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. What do you have got going on this weekend and this year? It's going to be an annual event. It was fundraiser. We raised money to have the youth out of Columbus, Ohio, inner city kids. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to, you know, bringing better things to that as well. And I'm super excited about the first annual event. And it's just something that, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you how I started. My youngest son, Arthur, decided to start a club in my only my best. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he told me that was his, his idea of his project. And I was like, well, that's great, man. Go for it. And here we are today, you know, some two, three years later, hosting an event like this magnitude. And it's only been getting better and better, you know, the, 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 Line itself, but it's branched out now into 
you know, fundraisers, and we got associated with Brightway, who is uh, Archie Griffin and his brother, Ray, and two outstanding individuals, as you well know. And, you know, it's just uh, it's a beautiful thing. I'm really excited and happy to be a part of it. I look forward to having a great night. It's ready to show it out. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. One of the things, you yeah, know... And it's, and it's, you know, this is definitely going to be an annual thing, and uh, you know, just super excited about it. It's going to be a great weekend. One of the things that um, when we met you first for the first time, we met you at the community center. One of the most admirable things that Mecca and I have taken from you is what you're doing to give back. You're not, you're in the community, you're giving kids free boxing lessons. Like you're not just always thinking about yourself and your bank account and for the city of Columbus to have someone like you who represents what you do to do what you do is something that we just respect so much about you. And this event seems to be an extension of that. Well, thank you, man. But it's all about, you know, I have to give it to my mother and father because growing up in the household, you know, that's what they were all about, you know, sharing and being helpful to one, to one, to, to their neighbors. And uh, it's just uh, something that's been instilled in me from birth. And, you know, it's something that just comes out naturally. And then the hook up with the, with the right people now, it's awesome, man. It's just a, Great thing, and looking forward to doing much more. Awesome. One other thing I want to ask you about, too, uh, before we get you out of here also, is your relationship with Urban Meyer and Ohio State football. Seems like that's something that's also pretty important to you. Have you always been a fan of Ohio State football? Oh, big time. Growing up in Columbus, Ohio, not be a fan of Ohio State, but God, <laughs> something has to be revolved around. Right. Even in the tough years, even in the tough years with those Michigan losses. And I've got friends, man, sort of friends, that were like jumped the fence and started going with Michigan. Now it's like, don't even try to come back over to Kyle. You know, you want to get over there, you couldn't take those losses and struggle through the hard times. Right. You know, like, whatever, man. And, and uh, you know, me personally, true Buckeye, all for one and one for all, man. It's been a beautiful thing. It's a resurgence of the house State Buckeyes. And to be a part of it is awesome, man. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. No if, doubt. Before we get get you out of here, we got two things that we're going to ask you, right? One is related to sports. Um, who are your top five boxers? My top five boxers? Yep, of all time. Clubs. Uh, I like Pernell Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Rest Whitaker. in peace. Tommy Hearns. Manny Pacquiao. Wow. And, and uh, Wilder. Wilder. I like Wilder. You like, you like Wilder? <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. interesting to me, man, because I'm not sure what to make of him. It's like, I'm not sure if he's a good boxer, but I know he's got that power. I'm going to tell you what, man. He's a big guy. You know, these guys now six seven, six nine. Yeah. And he be six seven, six nine. He's not too bad, man. He's got the heart of a lion. Yeah. And he he, he will attack. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking for him to retain his title and knock, knock Fury out again. I was at the first fight. Oh, yeah? That was, that was a battle. And, uh... 
So this the second fight is even going to be tougher though. Fury couldn't even. Fury's good. He's no punk. Yeah, he's excited about it. He's, he's figured out some things he didn't do in the first fight. He's going to try it again. But I think with Wilder's aggressiveness and his overall power and ability, he'll come out successful again. Because Wilder can take a punch as well. Yeah, he you can. Know, and he's big and he's tested and he's fought who's who in the heavyweight division and he got rid of him. So and I look forward to seeing him do it again in this fight, this rematch. Right. And, and actually, what what is your kind of opinion on the current state of boxing and, and how boxing has changed? I think boxing is in a stronghold in his own and doing very well. Got a lot of outstanding upcoming fighters in a lot of different divisions that are upcoming coming up with ability and skill. And we're going to weather the storm and, you know, remain to be number one on the top sports franchises in America. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, one other question before we get you out of here is your top five favorite musicians of all time. And just it, it could be any type of music, uh, musicians that influenced you over your top life. Top five Musicians. Oh, musicians? Yeah. Put you on the spot here. Oh, I like Herbie Hancock. Mm. Uh, Roy Ayers. George Clinton. The Gap Band and Prince. <sighs> that funk, that funk has it had, had a lasting impact on you, huh? Yeah, they, they had confronting me way. You know, uh, they were just loaded with talent in, in the seventies uh, and eighties, and they were right down the street from Columbus, Ohio, dating. You know, a bunch of bunch of groups come out of there. Very successful. <laughs> It's so true. And there's so much talent in Ohio and so many different um, areas. And that's one of the things, obviously, we like to do on the show is kind of highlight that. And obviously, you're one of the biggest things ever to come out of Columbus, Ohio. So we are so grateful uh, to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Buster. Thanks for having me. You guys do a great job. I look forward to listening to your show and seeing you be more successful. Thank you very much. And good luck this week. Have a good weekend. Hopefully, we'll uh, catch up with you soon. Gavin, I look forward to it, man. Let's we'll get together when you come in town. Okay, cool. Take care, man. Take care. Bye. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 13. Time for some news and notes. V, we got in trouble last week for not doing this news and notes, so we got to get to it today. I didn't know people were looking forward to it like that. Well, cool. Well, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who play in Missouri, by the way, uh, they won the Super Bowl. Um, I'm happy for Andy Reid. How do you feel about it? Uh, same same thing. I'm happy for Andy Reid, and I'm also happy for um, Patrick Mahomes. Um, Kansas City, it seems like the Hunt family has a deep history in the NFL, and this was well earned. It seems like a real football town that appreciates appreciates the victory. Um, and, yeah. I, and I think you know we all like to watch greatness unfold. And I think it's it's great as Tom Brady retires for us to have Patrick Mahomes coming in. Yeah. To kind of carry that torch. It's crazy because you know I mean this is his third season. I mean really his second full season starting. 
that's that's I mean, this is like 15 more years of this that we potentially have. So it'd be interesting if there's someone who can catch Brady in terms of rings. It's probably going to be Patrick Mahomes. Uh, speaking of football, Mike Thomas wins Offensive Player of the Year. Man, that's that's crazy to me. First of all, obviously we all know how good Mike Thomas is. I think everyone who's watching, anyone who's been watching football for the last couple of years knows that. But to win that award as a wide receiver, yeah, that that's never like happens. Never happens. It's quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Yeah. So shout out to him. Obviously, speaking of Buckeyes, Nick Bosa won Defensive Rookie of the Year, which is the third OSU player in four years to win it. His brother Joey won it. And Marshawn Lattimore also uh, won it. There's a factory coming out of Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to get better, draft Ohio State players. It looks like. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Uh, college football, Georgia. They spent three point <laughs> seven million dollars on football recruiting in 2019. I don't want to single out Georgia because I'm sure that's probably around the number, or, you know, millions of dollars that are being spent at all the big time programs. But it just shows you how much money goes in to college football. The the funny thing about that is the ROI on that three point seven million that they spent <laughs> is probably well worth the three point seven million that they spent, right? So uh, especially uh, when you're not paying the players, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, especially some of these programs are worth like a billion dollars. So yeah, if you're spending three million a year to get you know the top talent that, like you said, you don't even have to pay. And I Georgia mean, is one of the best. I mean, they never they never execute, but they always get some of the best talent, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of college football, Mark D'Antonio retired surprisingly uh, this week. Um, I guess it's par- apparently 20 days after he received a $4.3 million <laughs> bonus. Um, there's lawsuits against him, alleging multiple uh, NCAA violations. What were your thoughts when you first heard about D'Antonio retiring? I mean, a couple thoughts. One is... Michigan State is is facing some real karma for all the bad shit that it seems like has been going on at that school and that program. That's not the only reason they're in the news for bad reasons this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but very, very shocking because it on the surface, it seems like D'Antonio is a very clean-cut guy, a guy that I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for since his Ohio State days. Yep. He's uh, actually from Columbus, I think, Zanesville. Yeah, and he's the winningest... I mean, Michigan State is a good a good program, but he's the best coach, it seems, in terms of winning that they've ever had there. Three Big Ten championships. Um, they gave us all that we could we could handle a couple different times. It's just unfortunate when you see things like this because you're worried most about those kids who signed up to play for him for four years. Suddenly, again, him being able to leave with $4.7 million in his hand with no consequence. And what's crazy is, like, uh, you know, to leave February 4th. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, like, the day before signing day. And, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in terms of replacing him as a a coach? Who are you going to hire? You're going to steal somebody from another program that's already worked on building their program. And then also, what are you going to tell the kids? I mean, these kids... Like I said, I think we're going to see a record number number of kids from Michigan State enter the transfer portal. Why would I why would I want to stay there? Like, what am I staying? I don't know who the coach is going to be. I don't know if we're going to get NCAA sanctions. I don't know anything. Like, why why would I stay there? So, I think um, there's going to be a lot more that's going to come out about this story in the next coming weeks, and it's going to be crazy to watch. And the thing that bothers me the most about this is, you know, you're taught in life that if you make a mistake, you own up and you take accountability for it. The number of times that we see these coaches leaving with these millions and millions of dollars after fucking up doesn't make sense to me either. There has to be some consequence for you making a mistake and compromising the program if that does come out. 
and that can't that shouldn't be five million dollars on your way out the door. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but you know, that's that's like how we tried to do on the show, exposing the farce. I mean, that's something we're gonna continue talking about. And as this thing continues to develop, we're gonna keep following it. And uh, I'm sure there's gonna be some some bombshell news that comes out about it at some point. Uh, on to Ohio State basketball, just want to give them a shout out. They beat uh, the team up north, University of Michigan this week, which is crazy. I, I tweeted uh, yesterday um, that at the beginning of the season, college basketball season, if someone who told me someone told me that a team who had the following wins might not make the NCAA tournament, I tell them to go jump off a cliff. Cincinnati, Villanova, North Carolina, Kentucky, Indiana, and Michigan, and Penn State. Ohio State has all those wins, but yet they're like still like struggling to potentially even make the tournament. Well, I think what's going to happen here is that it's been established that the Big Ten is the best conference in college basketball this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying at least 10 teams from the conference, maybe 12, that's, will make the tournament. That's crazy. Because there's been such a decline in the other big conferences, and they're looking at this as just the competitive landscape of the Big Ten. Because if you look at most of Ohio State's losses, or if all of them have come in conference play, right? Right. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's it's just it's disheartening kind of to see. I'm a big college basketball fan, but it's hard for me to watch it this year. Like yeah. these teams aren't. I think Baylor's number one, but I don't know what to what I'm watching yet. And, like, and, and like North Carolina teams like that, I saw the other day. I was watching just randomly. The game was on, and I saw that they were ten and eleven. I was like, North Carolina. Like if North Carolina is ten and eleven, like. That's like that's like Ohio State being like four and eight in football. One yeah, year. you know what I mean. Like that's yeah. just never happens. So <laughs> Roy Williams said, "We're just not good at basketball or something." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one thing I like about Roy. He's gonna keep it real. Yeah. Speaking of basketball, John Morant, Steph Curry, they've been going at each other a little bit on social media over the Andre Iguodala thing. Um, essentially, what happened was when Andre Iguodala got traded from Golden State to Memphis. He basically was like, "Look, I'm not playing. You know, I'm not gonna." play for this up-and-coming team. I want to be traded to a contender. So both sides, him and the, the organization, agreed that he would essentially sit out. So it looks like he might be traded this week. Um, Dylan Brooks from, from Memphis made the comment basically this week saying, like, look, I get what he's doing. I understand the business, but I'm ready to move on, you know. And um, so from the player side, it's kind of like they're a little frustrated, like, well, you should be willing to play. We're we're ballers too. But from yeah. his side, he's like, "Look, man, I've been in this league a long time. I'm not about to waste, you know, these last couple of years of my of my career on some young team." So, you know, they've been going back and forth. John Moran, and Steph Curry. It's been it's been kind of funny. A couple thoughts on that. Um, first of all, the NFLPA, the NFL Players Association, needs to go and intern with the NBA Players Association for like a year. <laughs> right. Iguodala is con- collecting his whole check right. and not playing, <laughs> right. not practicing, sitting at home with his kids. This is like Greenville, right? Right, right. Um, Saving his body. And he's, <laughs> and he's going to get traded. I mean, literally, I think this week, you know, he's going to get traded, and he's probably going to get traded to the Clippers or a contender, and the dream comes true for him, you and, know? And the second thought part of this is, like, one of my frustrations with the NBA and how basketball, the landscape of basketball, has changed since the Jordan-Kobe era is that it seems like everybody's just friends, you know? The rare cases, you have the Dame Lillards. But I love, first of all, I love John Moran. Oh, yeah. And I've been on him for a while. Mm-hmm. But he he's like a young Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Um, yeah, he said, he's like, I've been a fan of Steph Curry, but I ain't scared. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I love and, and I love them saying, look, having that chip, like, you're basically, what Iguodala is saying is that you guys aren't good enough for me to play for. Yeah. 
And that is offensive, mm-hmm. right? If you're a player and there's a guy that signed to your team that doesn't want to play because he says you guys aren't good enough. Yeah. And it's not like they're not winning. Well, they're, they're the eight seed. They're sitting they're in the, the eight seed right now, you know, and, comfortably in the eight and seed. And so I do, I'm not sure exactly what happened with Iguodala, but I do think that at a certain point, there, there has to be an obligation to fulfill whatever contract you have. If the team says, now, okay, if the trade deadline passes and he's not traded to whatever team he needs to go to, I do think it is the professional thing for him to show up and mentor well, they these said young that, kids. They said that they, that they mutually agreed. They, him and Memphis mutually agreed. Well, they need to mutually agree to change that decision <laughs> if he doesn't get traded because, right. look, he's making a ton of money. Yeah, these, he, This team who's trying to learn how to win could they re- could use him. They, they could. could him. They could use him. But he's going to get traded. This thing is going to be off or not. At, I don't maybe. know. They got less than twenty four hours, and yeah. and the Grizzlies are saying unless they get the right value, the right value, they're yeah. not going to trade him. So, so we'll see. Follow that situation. I mean, you know, it'd be interesting to see where he goes. I like Memphis. They're a young team, great team to watch. Uh, so we'll be, you know, we'll see what happens with I that. Love, I love their attitude, man. That's, yeah. That that's what needs to come back to the NBA for sure. Uh, NBA, um, some feel good news. I mean, in the wake of kind of the, the death of Kobe Bryant, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal was at a Best Buy, and, um, you know, he was just there randomly, and this couple came up to him, and they just expressed their condolences to Shaq for losing Kobe, but also for losing his sister. I think that happened also recently, and that was it. They walked away. They didn't ask for a picture. They didn't ask for an autograph or whatever. Shaq goes and finds them and says, you know what? I like you guys. Buy the, and they were, they, they were uh, shopping for a laptop, I think. He said, buy the most expensive, best shit in here that, that you want, and I'll pay for it. Yep. And, uh, and they were really excited, obviously. And, and, you know, it just, that's one of those, those are the type of stories you hear about Shaq all the time. Yeah, I think, you know, once Shaq is Shaq for a reason, the reason he's successful in all avenues of life, people see the, the character of the big, funny guy, but... He's a genius. Yeah, he is. He's a genius, and he cares. He um, does. And it's genuine, and that shines through. This is like this, the latest example. I think he had just bought somebody a house, but he doesn't always advertise these things. No. But different things are happening every day. Yep. Um, from the women he's interacted with, which mm-hmm. are plenty, no one ever has anything bad to say yeah. about their experience with Shaq. And, and like you said, one thing I think is important that you said is that a lot of times when we hear about these stories, we hear about it from the other side. It's not Shaq, Shaq yep. showing it or him having a cameraman that's like posting it on his Instagram. It was the it was this couple that eventually asked him to take a picture that ended up posting the story, and that's how the word got out. But I'm sure he does things like this all the time that we never hear about. Do you think Shaq sleeps? No. In fact, the, the other day I watched the interview of him uh, talking about the Kobe death, and he was basically essentially saying that he doesn't, that he's so busy. I mean, if, if you I imagine mean, all the things that he's involved he in. He freaking DJs every night, too. It's, like. it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's – and you know, one thing I, – last thing I'll say on Shaq is that I feel like he understands his position and his role in society beyond just business, but like as kind of an ambassador of the game and also as just a person that people like to be around, people like to – absorb the energy of so he's in a lot of places at a lot of time making uh, a lot of times making a lot of different people happy and and providing great experiences for people and infinite curiosity he's always trying something and learning something new and a lot of people in his position would just sit back and say you know what i'm almost a billionaire now yeah and and you know god forbid knocking on wood everything else but when you think about the kind of celebrity deaths that would be impactful obviously 
uh, on the heels of Kobe. Huh. I'm not even going to say it, but that's one that would, you know. Ooh. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to some pop culture news. Um, Yo Gotti, rapper Yo Gotti, he announced that he got out of his label deal and owns all of his masters now. And for me, that's that's significant because, you know, as an artist, that is one thing that you hear about a lot is all these artists who get into these crazy deals and they're fighting with their label and they're 20 years in and they're so famous and you realize that they're getting, you know, you're getting killed on the money. Um, so for him to actually fight and get his masters back, I think that's a that's a pretty significant thing. Yeah, the, the, it's it's amazing. We talk about college athletes a lot, but these the, the record industry, what they do to young artists, um, is 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 very 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 bad. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it's I'm very happy he got his masters back. But the reason he got his masters back is because they've exploited it and made as much money as possible. The one one area that I don't understand is they typically give you an advance. Um, and then they don't, a lot of young artists don't even understand how publishing works. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore they're signing over. They're like, Oh, I'm getting a $250,000 advance, Yeah, but they don't realize the $250,000 advance is like a bank loan. Right. And if you don't control your publishing, that's where the money really is in music is in controlling your publishing. Yeah. And so. I remember, I remember back in the day, one of the things I love the most about Michael Jackson that he did yeah. was when he bought the Beatles catalog. Right. And that was such a beast. And he said, fuck you right. to Sony or whoever. Yeah. And I think he recently sold that just to show you the worth. He sold that catalog back or his estate sold it back for like over a billion dollars. Oh, yeah. That, that Beatles catalog is worth a ton of money. I mean, yeah. so, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, again, as an artist, I, anytime I hear any type of story of artist empowerment, I'm happy. I do also understand, though, and we talked about this with Lee Bonin before in a different uh, context. But I do understand the label's perspective sometimes because they are making investments sometimes that they don't ever get back. A lot of artists that we never hear about, they don't get that money back. So I do kind of understand how certain things happen. But again, when I hear an artist fighting for themselves and and, and get, winning, and winning, it, it makes me happy. Yeah. Last thing for news and notes, Spotify and Ringer just uh, got a huge deal done. Spotify essentially just bought Ringer. Uh, Ringer is a podcast-centric media company run and owned by Bill Simmons. They got tons of podcasts, tons of sports content. I think that deal is going to end up, it's huge. I mean, it's huge. If you're an entrepreneur trying to be successful, definitely study Bill Simmons because Bill Simmons is the man in sports right now in sports media because he gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, ESPN did themselves a dis. I don't know what happened there, but they did themselves a disservice by disassociating with him. He's not the best on-air personality, but he's a genius behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and nothing but respect, and it, it's showing the power of the podcast platform and how consumers are, are d- demanding and digesting content now differently than in the years past. Yeah, so that that's a big one. Like I said, uh, I, I don't even know the, the numbers on that deal. I'm sure it's in the hundreds of millions probably. Definitely. Um, I mean, I think they did $15 million in ad revenue, so you... You know, you do like a four X multiple on that. It's close. You're you're looking at it close. You know, right? Sixty sixty is four X. Right. Five X is is seventy five. Seventy five. Yeah. So. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are here with our college football insider and also podcast host of Menace to Sports, Zach Smith. Welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. And thanks for joining us, man. It's been a, a kind of a crazy week in sports. Uh, but particularly, I wanted to jump right into this one. What the fuck is going on at Michigan State in football? Just pure chaos. Yeah. Pure chaos. It is, uh, I mean, I, I talked about it after the season. Like, I'm talking December. And I said it was time for, for Mark D'Antonio and, and 
Michigan State to part ways. Yeah. Just the, the program had completely fallen apart. Um, they were finishing 11th in the, or whatever it was in the Big Ten in recruiting. Right. I mean, there was no glimmer of hope. Yeah. And he refused to make the decisions that he needed to make to revive the program. Mm. He wouldn't fire anyone. Yeah. He did like the the musical chairs of, of coaches. Yeah. Like, okay, you coached wideouts, now coach running backs. Right. And you coached O line, now coach tight ends. It's yeah. like it just it was bizarre. Yeah. And then all this stuff came out with shady recruiting stuff, and mm. it's like this this is an absolute train wreck. So you saw it coming because if you, I mean, well, here's the, the thing that's sad about it, right? Especially for. People who are Ohio State fans were obviously very familiar with him. We have a be, kind of fondness for him, right? Well, he's from Columbus. Uh, yeah. He went to Zanesville, I think, high school. You know, he was defensive coordinator at Ohio State, obviously, before he got the job at Michigan State. And then he went to Michigan State and gave Ohio State fits, you know, fits. for years. Fits. Um, and, and it seemed like he kind of had something figured out. Not just Ohio State, he gave Michigan uh, Michigan fits. He, they oh, yeah. went to the playoff. They went to the college football playoff. Yeah, and they got destroyed, but they went. Three Big Ten championships. Winning Big Ten championships. It seemed as though he was going to be a, a serious force. And then all of a sudden, boom, it seemed like that, you know, that shit hit rock bottom real quick. Real quick. And it seemed like you, you saw it coming. Yeah, I mean, I saw – well, I didn't see it coming when Pat Narduzzi went to Pitt. The, the reality is their defense was ridiculous. Mm. I mean, like, one of the best in the country, both in scheme, in, in tackling, and technique, and just they – were, they were developed. And Pat Narduzzi, Pat Narduzzi took the Pitt job because they were so good on defense, and you just watched the, the – I wouldn't even say slow decline. You watched yeah. a major decline right. that never stopped. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the reality of what happened. He lost an absolute stud – and didn't replace him with one. Yeah. And so now you're looking at, I mean, really a shitty, shitty situation to yeah. walk into. I mean, they they said Matt Campbell from Iowa State already turned it down. Luke Fickle already turned it down. Yeah. Like, who would want to take a job the day before signing day? Like, it's a, it's a train wreck. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of what I wanted to kind of get into here is like the obligation um, and the reasoning. There has to be something really, really bad that's coming out for this to happen. Like, have you ever heard of a situation like this where it happens without there being some sort of skeleton in the closet that's about to come out or come hammering down? Uh, you know, the really the only one I heard of, and it was very calculated, was when Bob Stoops retired. He did it after signing day, kind of in, in the offseason. It was like he did it so that they didn't have any options. You can't go hire a coach at that point. Mm. And he kind of forced their hand to promote Lincoln Riley mm. because yeah. that's what he wanted. That's who he wanted his his you know his successor to be. Right. And so it was like I don't remember when it was. It was probably like March or yeah. like like April, and he was just like, "All right, I retire." And right. Everyone was like, "What?" Right. Right. And Oklahoma's like, "What are we supposed to do?" Right. And he's like, "Ha ha, <laughs> let me show you what you're gonna do. Mm. I want all my coaches to remain here. I don't want anyone to get fired. So you're gonna promote Lincoln Riley. That's your only choice." Right. So it was very. Very different situation, but yeah. that's the only other time I can think of where it was just bizarre timing. Yeah, and then also, you know, like we said, it was like I think twenty days after he just received a four point three million dollar bonus, which I think is a little bit shady. And then you have lawsuits out there from, um, you know, former coaches. It seems like uh, accusing him of NCAA violations. You know, there's obviously a ton of other stuff going on in the athletic department too. So it just seems like a Michigan State is a train wreck. Generally, it seems like they I, I'm, and I will say. In recruiting, a lot of players, like mostly players from Detroit and the Michigan area, that's who we battled Michigan State on. Very, very few other places. Yeah. But those kids in, in Detroit and the state of Michigan, that was a attractive place. Yeah. And kind of the theme was that 
when they would visit there, when they talked to the players, the players got away with a lot of shit. Like they could, mm. they could, they could smoke weed. They could do things uh, that they knew they couldn't do at Ohio State. Mm. And I'm not saying that's why any specific kid went there over Ohio State. Yeah. But that's just the feeling and the theme of what was going on there. Right. And it's just, uh, it's started to rear its head. Yeah. And, you know? so, and that, and that's kind of the interesting thing here, right? Is like you guys, you know. With D'Antonio, it doesn't seem like he has a he kind of has puts out this reputation of being this clean cut disciplinarian disciplinarian guy that's not willing to cheat. Michigan State is overachieving because he's not willing to do what everyone else is doing to cheat to get the five star prospects. That's like that's what we heard about all the time, like yeah. this Cinderella underdog story. And for this to come out, it's, it's disheartening because I really like the guy from what I've seen. I don't know him personally. But I rooted for him too because they were whooping Michigan's ass too. Like, right. you know, and, and I had admiration for the fact that he would come in and dominate us at times. Like, teams that we we had much better talent, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really the only program that since Urban Meyer got hired consistently gave Ohio State fits. Yeah. Right. No other. Now there was a loss here or there, mm-hmm. but no other program. Every year, you're like, here we go. Yeah. Not not one. It's crazy. It's and, cr- and, Penn, and maybe Penn State. Yeah, Penn State too. Those are always like one point games. But yeah. even uh, and and despite the talent discrepancy, right? Ohio State always had more talent for sure than them. But he was just a good coach schematically, and he kind of knew what to do. And also a good in game manager. And then also toughness. Like uh, you know, I talked. I remember talking to Darren Lee and Von Bell after the uh, national championship year, and they told me they said people think that the toughest game that we played this year was Alabama. They're like, no, the toughest son of bitches that we played this year was Michigan State. Yep. Oh, for sure. And I on, thought that was crazy. On offense, for sure. Their, yeah. their defense was down a little bit that year, but yeah. but that was that was what they were known for. And I'm telling you, Pat Narduzzi, he probably will be the head coach at Michigan State, I would imagine. You think he's going to take the job? Uh, I don't know if he – it's it's so – it's in such shambles now that he might not. Yeah. But – uh, he, he, if I had to pick a guy, he's who I'd pick. Right. Well, Man, Pittsburgh, right. Pittsburgh was a hundredth nationally in defense before I got here. I think they were fifteenth last year. He's, he's he's a monster. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Is it seems and so that was that, so now some of the discussion now is what's going to happen to that program, and you know we obviously care about it because we're college football fans and we're in the Big Ten, and you know people are talking about Luke Fickle taking the job, and to me I'm like I don't see Luke Fickle taking that job as it is now. Wow. I think theoretically. That could have been a good job for him in different circumstances. But February 4th, after you already had your signing day and you've already, you know, committed to your your team and you're already building your program. And you don't know what fires you're gonna have to put out. Yeah. Right? Exactly. That's it's I I would never in a million years if I was Luke Fickle take that job. And I mean, even to be honest with you, even without the fires. Yeah. Like, why do you want to do that? You're Cincinnati hot as shit. Yes. You won maybe two more years and you're gonna get a Notre Dame or you're gonna get a big job. That's true. Why would you want to go battle Ohio State in a declining Michigan State program? Why? And you and you hit the nail on the head too, because he's in a conference right now that he can dominate. He knows he can dominate. He has he can get a lot of like God forgive me for saying this, like that leftover Ohio talent that is really good, but just not good enough as to play at Ohio State currently. Yeah, but he can still he's still getting a lot of those players. The transfers he's going to get transfers from the transfer portal is going to be insane. Now Michigan State already had nine guys in it, I think, before this happened. I can't even imagine what it's going to look like. Look now. at all the guys who've leveraged the Cincinnati job, including D'Antonio, into better jobs. Right? Oh, it's endless. It's yeah. it's it's just a great job. Like, and it's underrated. And I think. I would really like for someone to, you know, not, I never want anyone to be better than Ohio State, but for someone to just stay and build something special yeah. at Cincinnati. Right. Cause the, I pat, think, 
be I, Pat Fitzgerald, right? Yeah. What he's right. doing at Northwestern. Someone be, I'm telling you who the guy is, Kerry Combs. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That, that guy will be Kerry Combs when Luke Fickle leaves, and Kerry will be the, for li- he, he's a lifer. Yeah. He'll never leave Cincinnati. He'll be yeah. the head coach for, until he probably dies on the field. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you're right. That it's, it's a great job, but everyone, it always launches people. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's someone at some point to make them a, bigger program to give Ohio that second team someone's got to stay yeah one thing that's that's talked about a lot and I wanted to get your feelings on this is the lack of competition in the Big Ten and how that impacts a school like Ohio State versus the impression that people have of the SEC you know now that Michigan State is down which was a key component of of keeping our league competitive do you think it matters or or, or? I mean it matters in recruiting for sure I, I looked I was on my show yesterday I was just kind of went on a rant about recruiting and stars because you always hear people like, well, that shit doesn't matter. Look at this three star. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Eight three stars are projected in the first round out of maybe 4,000 three stars in the, in the country. Right. So right. like you're talking about winning the lottery. Yeah. But yeah. the four and five stars are 75% of the draft. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like it, it, when you look at that, you look at the SEC, they have projected 15 first rounders. Mm. I think the Big Ten had three. Or they're all Ohio State. State. And they're all, no, I'm sorry, there were six. Okay. And like a, a center from Michigan. There was a couple, but then Ohio State, two from Ohio State. Right. And it's like, when you're a recruit, it's like, I mean, the SEC's selling the shit out of that now. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the the NFL college conference, mm-hmm. right? And the reality is it doesn't, it doesn't in really affect a kid if they go to Ohio State. Yeah. Because they're going to go against NFL talent every day. Right. And then they get to, I always used to tell people, you get to practice against first-rounders mm-hmm. and go against seventh-rounders in a game. Yeah. You know how good you're going to look? Right. Gary yeah. Conley told, he told us the toughest person he ever played against in college was Mike Thomas. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's on the same team. And you, yeah. you imagine that. And it, that was my recruiting pitch all the time. It's like you go against Marshawn Lattimore, Gary Conley, Eli Apple – Every day, yeah, and then no you Lord. get to go play against me on Saturday. <laughs> right. Like, do you know how easy that's going to be and how good you're going to look? <laughs> right, right, like, right. you immediately look better than if you go to the SEC. Right. Yeah. You know, right. It's just that was my whole pitch, and it worked. It's a big, the piggyback v kind of these question. I guess one of the bigger kind of questions is whether or not you know we've talked about this before, but like whether or not the Big Ten conference being good, you know, elevates us and our and Ohio State specifically their chances of year in, year out of making the college football playoff. One of the things that you'll, debates that you'll see on Twitter a lot is whether or not we want Michigan to be good and whether or not it's good for the conference. And Or, you know, Ohio, some Ohio State fans are like, fuck Michigan, I want them to win one game the whole year. And other people are like, no, I want them to be undefeated when we get to that game because it makes us look better. How, do you, how does that, you know, factor in, in your mind? I mean, I don't know why anyone would want not want that to be like um, the one versus two game. Mm-hmm. Every you know why why would you not want to be com- you want to play competitive teams? Well, and not only that, but it's good for the it's good for each team if the conference is better, mm-hmm. right? It's good for Ohio State in recruiting and everything if the conference is better. Yeah. If Michigan goes out and beats Alabama in the bowl game, it's a lot better for the Big Ten. Yeah. yeah. If they go out and get their teeth kicked in, it's horrible for the Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I, I can't ever agree with. Wanting them to lose every game, you right. should want them to win every game until we play them, and then let us let Ohio State be the spoiler, and it it, it just it improves the brand of Midwest football as a whole. Well, that's the other thing too about like iron iron sharpening iron, kind of as well, is that I feel like you know, and this is like if you talk to other people outside of Big Ten country about some of the criticisms of Ohio Ohio State in the Big Ten, they'll say, "Look, oh yeah, Ohio State goes and dominates this week conference all year, but then when they have to go play the big boys." You know, they're not ready for it. They're not, they, they're not, they haven't been hitting the mouth like that. They haven't seen speed like that. 
You know, do you think that's true or is that just is that overhyped or 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 what? They see it every day in practice. Yeah. Every day. So it's, it just comes down to how much competitive uh how many competitive periods in practice are there. Mm. And now you're flirting with a fine line. You yeah. want you want your team to have that preparation, but you also don't want to get hurt. Yeah. And that's when injuries happen. Right. So it's a, it's a it is the gray area of coaching and it's the un you know, there's no formula for it. There's no book on it. You just have to feel it out and, and do what you think. Are there right. any issues, like even like that you've dealt with internally, like with your players being overconfident, right? Because Ohio State has dominated this conference since Urban got here. For the most part, you know, Michigan State played spoiler. Penn State has a couple of times. But is there are there challenges in keeping your guys motivated knowing that every year, like when they play – Illinois, for example, they're going to win 41, 41 to zero. You know, yeah. I mean, it, you, you, it definitely is a challenge, and it's definitely a challenge because what can happen is they can get away with a lot of shit that they won't be able to get away with against yeah. better talent. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I dealt with early in our in our tenure at Ohio State was just they would go out on Saturday and do shit that you're like that is not going to work against a good player. Yeah, but it worked against whoever. Right, and so that's that's definitely a part of it, and it's tough. But you also have things, especially now, to point to the the Purdue game, the Iowa game. You know, the, you have the, these games to point to. Like, you can lose right. to that team. Right. Like, you yeah. can. Right. Right. It's possible. Yeah. Because for a while there, it wasn't possible. Right. To, to people. And yeah. how long can you can you lose? You can get embarrassed and get your shit. Kicked. Do you Absolutely. think that's what happened in that Purdue game? I think uh, a lot of things happened in the Purdue game, but yeah, uh, certainly a big part of it was they were shell shocked because they thought they'd just get, roll in, roll out their their game, and get out of there with a 40-point win. Yeah. yeah. And and I think there was a lot of internal things going on on defense and things like that that, that definitely created it or or caused it. But right. part of it was certainly, this Purdue, what are we talking about? Yeah. And it's Purdue. like, here, Purdue smacked the shit out of you. Right, right. I want to switch gears a little bit, too. I want to talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs won it. We all predicted that on the show. A plot yeah. to us. I finally got a fucking prediction right on this show. All my predictions. Stick with terrible. Zach and I, right. and you you'll be all right. Right. You when, know when you when you picked them, I was like, oh shit. Oh, no. I'm a, I almost switched my pick. Seriously, seriously. And it's crazy because for a lot of that game, I was like, here I go again. I'm gonna be wrong right. again. But here comes Magic Mahomes. So just you know, again, I know you you know we talk a lot about college football here, but and uh, kind of football like history. This is big for a couple of reasons. First of all, Kansas City winning, Andy Reid winning. Lamar Hunt. You, you spent Hunt a year in Philly. You, you had told us before, so you kind of have a greater appreciation for um, you know, Andy Reid. And then also Patrick Mahomes, man. I mean, you know, maybe it's people talk about it too much, but it's like this is his third year in the league, and he's already MVP. He's done something that nobody did. Brady, Brady didn't do this. Uh, Montana didn't do this. And he's already won a Super Bowl, and he looks like there doesn't seem like there's anything that's going to necessarily slow him down. What do you think about Brady wow. wasn't winning because of because of his talent? That's the other thing too. He I'll say is that a lot of the young guys that won, like Roethlisberger and those guys that won when they were young, it wasn't because of them. They're right. they, winning. They were game managers. Of right. Patrick Mahomes. There's no doubt. He's one of the most dynamic quarterbacks to come in the NFL in a long time. Yeah. And I just lo- I, I I think he has such a a good perspective on being a superstar that he's one of those that can be one for a long time. You know, like we talk about Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James's. I don't know if you saw the story about him at dinner with his uh, girlfriend or whatever in yeah, Kansas City. Yeah, I don't know if that's a true story, by the way. Either way. Either way, it either sounds way, like something I'm, he would hey, do. What is it? I, I bought it. Yeah. I bought it. Yeah. I, I don't know the was, story. The story was basically like they were in dinner in Kansas City and nobody bothered them the, the whole night. And then as he was leaving, he like, 
turned to everybody and said thank you or, and or, paid their bill and paid everybody's bill or something like that. Yeah. Thank you guys for leaving us alone. I to be honest, I don't care if it's true. I'm but buying it. It is Mahomes like. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I, I believe it. You know, yeah. but he's he, the stuff he can do throwing the football is. I mean, just absolutely. I don't know that it's been seen before. Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the things he does with his eyes, his arm angles, and things like that. Like he won't be looking at a receiver and he'll hit him over on the other side, of, like in the middle of the field, while he's staring at a safety. And it's like, how do you? I don't yeah. even think that's supposed to be the, possible. The 49ers did a good job, though. They as did a good, great job. As yeah. good of a job as but you can. They were getting pressure before yeah. for pretty much the but whole game. But then you, they went to the hurry up, right? Right. And 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 it's what I said before the game. You you can stop him for 88% of the game, right. yeah. but that 12%, you're loose. Yeah. yeah. And it's like all he needs is like one window. It's crazy. And it's stupid. And it's what happened in the fourth and quarter. even like that like, third boom. and 15, you thought he was done at third and 15, and then he yeah. has Tyreek for like a 60-yard bomb. So I want to talk about that a little bit more specifically, like Kansas City, because when you look at them, it seems like they have a perfect storm of everything, yes. right? They have Andy <laughs> Reid as the mastermind. They have Eric Bieniemy, who's just a, a, a stud, stud coordinator. Then you have Mahomes, who literally could be the greatest football player we've ever seen play. Like, he has that type of talent, he right? He could be, right. Like, he could. he could go down that after his Offensive career. Offensive line, studs. Speed everywhere. It seems like... So, how do you how do you coach... I mean, obviously, if you have a quarterback like Mahomes, is he masking issues? Or is it just that he's just... You know, how do you even game plan? How do you even structure kind of your offensive game plan when you have a guy like well, that's that? That's what's really fun. Yeah. It's like, uh, and, and I wasn't there for the season, but leading up to the season I was there, it's like when Dwayne Haskins took over at Ohio State. Mm. It's like shit got so much more fun. Yeah. Like you're you're just studying past concepts that you could do, right. shit that you're like, this kid this kid can do anything, so yeah. what do you want to do? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It is really and fun. it seems like for Andy Reid specifically, right, like in his whole career, I have my opinion on McNabb. I thought he was pretty good. He's probably the best quarterback. But he was taking guys like Alex Smith and turning them into something. So it was almost like finally Andy Reid got the mastermind QB to match his mastermind as as an offensive game planner. Right? You know what? He really built it, and you saw it in Philly. He did he did something similar with uh, getting Deshaun Jackson, and he's he's a speed guy. Yeah, and that receiver group is freaking ridiculous. I mean, it's rocket ships yeah. everywhere. Yeah, and then he he. They did a, the best job of anyone in the NFL draft of identifying Mahomes as a as as a generational talent. No, yeah. one, no one else really did. He said that I, th- I, I don't know who it was. Uh, one of his guys told him. He said, "Listen, this is the best football player I've ever seen." Right. And Andy Reid was like, well, "That's like a, come that's on, a big let's not be dramatic." And so he said the guy would like literally put Patrick Mahomes tapes on his desk like all the time, like right. watch, watch. And Andy Reid said he finally watched and was like. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> this, really this, is, this might be the best football player I've ever seen. Right, and now he gets him and is able to, you know, implement him in that offense. And the other thing, one of the other things that he said in, in the post game interview was he said that Patrick Mahomes just keeps wanting more and yeah. more and more, and that he can keep giving him more because he can handle it. He's also a smart dude, which I think a lot of times gets underrated as well. Oh, yeah. very underrated. Yeah. So one last thing on the Super Bowl and kind of Eric Bieniemy because. There is a lot of talk on social media right now about Eric Bieniemy and him, whether why he doesn't have a, uh, a head coaching job and whether he's fit. And, you know, some people say he doesn't interview well. And then they put out this interview that shows that obviously he's a great interview. Is it, What is it that you see in, in terms of the concepts, the actual concepts, um, offensive concepts that you see that look different or look 
like their dynamic from it, Kansas City. It's not that different. I mean, yeah. they don't. No one in the NFL really, outside of Baltimore, they do stuff vastly different right. because of the freak show they have taking the snap. Right. But everyone runs the same shit. It's yeah. just who can execute it the best. Right. And they have a quarterback that can make all the throws. They have guys that can blow the top off re- at a ridiculous clip. Yeah. Just and it, then Kelsey just and just they just have a, yeah this monster tight end working yeah. the the middle of the field. And right. It's like. They just have all the pieces. Yeah. And so everything they do looks better than most other teams doing it. Right. And the thing that kind of sticks out, I think, about the Eric B. Enemy situation is we know how football works. If you are the coordinator for any coordinator for the Patriots because they're so good, you're going to get a job. And the same thing with Andy Reid. I think there are seven active head coaches from the Andy Reid coaching tree in the NFL. So mm. that's, I think, what, what makes people start to point toward is it because of race that this guy who's at the helm of the best offense in the NFL that just won the Super Bowl can't get a job, though he desperately wants one and has the resume to support it, right? And I think the reality is, uh, I don't know if it is race. I certain, There's definitely a conversation about that in there. But yeah. the reality is the NFL's fucked up on every level. <laughs> yeah. Watch yeah. the draft. Yeah. Yeah. They'll draft a guy, you're like... they. The Browns draft Jabril, Jabril Pepper in the right. first round. Right. Well, I couldn't right. believe what right. is that, that happened. Right. I couldn't Michael believe Michael Thomas is the sixth receiver. It's like they do shit at every level, every yeah. decision. And most of the time, the teams looking for a coach are really shitty teams yeah. that are in turmoil. They have a shit, probably like three different people arguing over who to bring in, who to hire, and they make horrible decisions. Yeah. Time and time again. Time and time again. And it's funny because the NFL, they get away with it. Because of the talent, right? Yeah. At the oh, end yeah. of the day, the talent ends up. And it's up an old caring. boys club, too. Right. It's definitely an old boys club. You, if, Once you become a coach in the NFL, you'll always have a job in the NFL. Well, and then yeah. also with the revenue sharing, all that type of stuff, it doesn't, whether you win or lose, these these companies are still billion-dollar franchises. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, everybody, and you would think that everybody has the same incentive, which is do whatever it takes to win. And it's actually not true. I mean, they 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 want to win a certain way, and if they don't win that way, they're comfortable with losing. And that's the crazy thing that you see in the NFL. But I think it's been great to watch the Chiefs kind of build this thing. We saw it happening even a few years ago when Alex Smith was a quarterback. They were sure. doing well. For sure. You saw the pieces being gradually uh, put together. And it's amazing, again, they lost all pro Kareem Hunt. Like, it's not like, you know, they're just throwing pieces together. And, and making it work, you know. So the Patriots haven't been challenged yeah. in the AFC for a long time. You yeah, know? Yeah, since Peyton Manning left the Colts, pretty what, much. What the Chiefs have done is very, very different, but very similar to the Patriots, where they have this stud quarterback. And now it's just plugging pieces in, yeah. and you lose you lose one piece, you plug another piece in. Like Patriots always had the little Edelman receiver, and it was like there was like four of them back right. to back to back. Right. One of them leaves, you bring another one in, and Les it's like Walker. same offense, right. yeah, right. same offense, same production. Yeah, and that's what the Chiefs are doing. Like, okay, let's say uh, Tyreek Hill wants more money and and, and gets traded. Yeah, they'll just get some really fast guy and plug him right in. Yeah, they already yeah. got one. With McC- McCall Hartman. McCall I mean, Hartman. I mean yeah. if you look at it, like I look back at what happened to Seattle after they paid Russell Wilson, right? Yeah, the the supposed dynasty fell apart and it seems like also Mahomes is a reasonable guy and understands that part of what's going to make him successful is probably taking a little less he's going to make the money off the field but that's a conversation he's about to be in the fifth year once they he takes up 25 percent of the cap how do they adjust that well the other thing too is that also and this is the last thing I'll kind of say on, on Kansas City like structurally is that Mahomes and Russell Wilson are different because they actually have talent that can mask a lot of different issues. Like Flacco didn't have that, but they yeah. had to pay pay Flacco, and that set 
that's a different type of conversation when you yeah. know you have to pay a guy who you're like, ah, I'm not really sure about. It's different yeah. than paying. He won a Super Bowl, so I have to pay him. Yeah, so you got to pay him, but you know he's not necessarily a guy that you could mask a ton of issues with. Whereas Russell Wilson is still having success there, even though they had to break up the Legion of Boom. And they're not what they once were. He's still winning them 10 games, still getting to the playoffs. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes also has that type of tone. So it'll be interesting to see. I think we're on, you know, I'm not the only person that thinks this, but I think we're on the midst of watching the dynasty happen. And it'll be hard to see who's going to beat them. One quick 49ers thing that I read, it was on a PTI this week that I want to talk to you guys about. They're saying <laughs> that the 49ers may cut Garoppolo and sign Brady and Garoppolo goes back to New England. <laughs> Like that, the the because of how poorly he played, just how crazy these stories. Let me ask are. you this: Actually, that's a good question. How good is Garoppolo? Honestly, is he is he a, more than a game manager, or is he a guy that is just young that it can literally grow into a real legitimate star in this league? I think he's a uh, upper middle tier quarterback in the NFL. Okay, I mean, I think he he definitely ha- he can make a, a bunch of throws, but he's not that that top echelon yeah. he's, he's not pat mahomes he's not he, he's certainly not a, a lamar jackson Im, impact player he's, right. he's not he's not the top five yeah and so to win a super bowl you kind of need that or yeah. you need some freakish defense yeah which is what 40 what's what san fran had right yeah. a ridiculous defense great run game and then they had a an upper middle tier quarterback yeah it's, do you do you guys like think that shanahan's a choker considering what happened in atlanta and what happened here? Did the, the 49ers give away that game that they should have Well, won? they stopped running. They didn't run the football. And, 12, uh, you know, 12 attempts. Yeah, Marie Moser had 12 attempts. The guy who just had 240 or something crazy, three touchdowns the game yeah. before, he only had maybe one or one carry in the first quarter. You know, they were up 20 to 10, was in the fourth quarter, and they just got away from – I mean, Garoppolo's throwing all kinds of balls. Like, wait, ru- what happened to running the football? He'll never yeah. live down that little two-hand push pass as he's getting sacked. Like yeah. that was the most embarrassing yeah. thing I've ever seen a quarterback <laughs> right, do. Right, oh my gosh, I, was, yeah. I almost threw up when I watched it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's just kind of like I mean, is Shanahan a choker? I mean, it's hard. Two of your biggest moments. Well, you're a choker till you don't, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Andy Reid dealt with that for until he just won one. Right. right. And so now Andy Reid is not. But prior and that's to what they used to say about Peyton Manning too. Right. Yeah. Prior yeah. to Sunday, Andy Reid definitely was a choker. Yeah. He choked in every Super Bowl, every every big opportunity to go win it all yeah well i do think shanahan will have opportunities again i think he's good that's a solid team solid Solid. team and he's good enough of a coach again he mixed and matched a lot of different talents and guys and you know they did a good job through the draft and through trades he's a great coach you can't take that away i feel badly for for guys like that when that happens because that's the natural thing people are going to say is that they're oh they're a choker yeah but the good news is and this is kind of like what we just said is that there's there's plenty of time in the future to kind of rewrite history. So no doubt. So we'll see. Anyway, that's great. Zach, thanks for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Uh, make sure you guys check out Zach Smith's podcast, Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere. And you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Zach Smith. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Buster Douglas and Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Viswant. And always remember, be you, you is fly. Pilot Boys out! Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up. We gon' fly, boys, we get up.
Depois me queiram, não 